The sermon series is titled Can't Stop the Feeling, and we have been talking through emotions, and we've been looking at God's word to see the answers that he has for us in terms of what we experience it, why we experience it, and what to do with it. And we said week one, if you've been here the last two weeks, you'll know that we did a part one and a part two. We did a God who feels part one and part two, and we talked about how our God, the God of the Bible, has emotions, that we have a God who feels. And then we talked about how Jesus, in the New Testament, as we watch his ministry and his life unfold, we see that he has emotions that he displays. So we know, we've established in the first two weeks that emotions are a great thing. And praise the Lord, because a lot of us feel a lot of different things. Emotions are a great blessing. However, what we do with our emotions can lead to good or lead to bad. And how we have to be cautious with our heart. Scripture tells us to guard our heart, which is the control center for our emotions, biblically, and that we must guard it. And so this series has been one so far in the first two weeks where it's been, hey, this is an amazing thing to relate to our God in this way. It's an amazing thing to be able to walk with our God in this way. But at the same time, it's also been one of caution for a generation like you and me that does tend to follow our feelings. In this series, we have been very clear that we must follow Jesus primarily and let our feelings and our emotions worship him. When our emotions are not in worship to God, we find ourselves in dark places. Now, show of hands, who has ever found themselves in a dark place because of something they felt and they didn't do the right thing with it? You ever been there? I have been plenty of times. My goodness. For our generation, I'm a millennial, you're Gen Z, for a lot of us, it's not always crazy external situations that lead us to hard times. Sometimes it's the things that we go through in our mind that lead to our heart that put us in bad places. You know, I'll just be honest. A lot of times when we don't have our emotions in check with the Lord or when we don't have our thoughts in check with the Lord, that leads to a lot of hardship in our life. And so we have to be careful. So we've laid some groundwork for this series. If you haven't been here the last two weeks, that is perfectly fine. I would encourage you to listen to those first two weeks because that's the foundation. Tonight we're going to get even a little more specific into this concept and this idea, and I'm very excited for it. So listen. Uh, If you're taking notes, go ahead and get your journal out, whatever it is you're taking notes on, iPad, iPhone, whatever that is. I want to tell you, in my truck, uh, I have Sirius XM right now. I've talked about car trouble from the stage for so many years. Well, me and Hannah finally upgraded vehicles. So right now, knock on wood, I'm not having much car trouble. But in my truck, when we got this truck, it came with Sirius XM for a little few months here. So I've been working on a trial. And uh, there, I just kind of had it on. It's It's a lot easier than going all the way to Apple Music and connecting my phone. So I've just been doing Sirius XM for a little bit. And there's this uh, radio playlist on there that is uh, for 2010s, right? And I love it. It only plays clean 2010s pop music. And it's been so nice for me because I get in the truck, I turn on 2010s, and I listen to all these pop songs, these clean songs that were big in the 2010s. And I love it. I don't have to click anything. And so I tell you that because you'll probably recognize my title tonight. The title of the message is Rolling in the Deep. That's right. Rolling in the in the deep. If you're taking notes, you can write that down at the top. Rolling in the deep. You may have heard that song. If you have, that's great. If not, no worries. It won't be relevant to any other part of the sermon except the next 30 seconds. Rolling in the deep. And what do we mean by this? What does this mean? This is a British saying. And what it means to roll in the deep when it is used in this expression is it means to have one's back deeply as a friend it's a saying that recognizes that you are in a deep, personal, close relationship with someone. They are your ride or die, so to speak, and that you are willing to quite literally roll through the deep, be in the trenches with somebody 
Go through highs and lows, mountains and valleys, thick and thin, rain and shine. You get the idea. That's what it means to roll in the deep. It's a British expression. For you and me, how we would say it in America is ride or die. That's somebody who I am going to stick side by side with. I have a deep, close, personal relationship with that person. And that's what I want to talk to you about tonight. I want to talk about how our emotions should play out with the people in our lives biblically. Now, show of hands again. I'm not going to ask you to do this too many times tonight, but tonight I am for this moment. How many of you have someone in your life that you know, hey, I have a deep relationship with this person and emotions are involved in that? You know what I'm talking about? Like, hey, I love this person. I feel compassion for this person. I feel loyalty for this person. I care for this person in a deep way. Every single one of us has someone in our life like that. That's a ride or die. That's somebody who we care about. Well, what I want to tell you tonight is a lot of times those things can play out in a very negative way, but the Bible has a very specific godly way for that to play out. Tonight, the idea that I'm going to unfold for you is that you and I were made to bond. We were made to have deep relationships. We were made to connect with God, but also with people around us in a deep, personal way way. Now, every week we've said this, every time we open the Bible, we get as excited as we can. So listen, if you have your Bibles, open up with me to Romans chapter 12 tonight. Amen. We're going to Romans chapter 12 tonight, and we're going to talk about the highs and lows of your emotions in context with the relationships that you have in your life. This message can be applicable to your relationship with God in a lot of ways, This message is even more applicable for you and your family, maybe your relationship with your mom, your dad, a sibling, a best friend, a coworker, whatever the case may be. I want to encourage you on what the Bible says we should share with other people. In other words, what does real love with other people look like? What does it look like to share a godly companionship, a godly love, a godly partnership with the people in our life? Now, this idea of rolling in the deep, of having one's back, thick and thin, rain or shine, to be able to tough out the hard times and stay with somebody in your life is not a new concept. It's been around for thousands of years. The reason why is because all of us deep down long to have this with the people in our lives. Nobody in here wants to have superficial relationships. The reason we do is a result usually of sin. Usually when our relationships are all superficial, The root cause of that is sin. There's something in us we're dealing with that we don't want to be open about, vulnerable about, and it's hurting our fellowship with people. Do you see what I'm saying? What hurts your fellowship with God is sin, and I'll tell you, sin also hurts your fellowship with other people. So a lot of times it can be sin, it can be fear, it can be a lot of things that keep us from deeply bonding with one another. But the truth is, for your generation and my generation, is that we want to bond deeply. It is so popular to look for these deep emotional connections with other people. If you don't believe me, Think about the movie Toy Story. Now, I was born in 1994. The first movie I ever went to the theater and saw was Toy Story. I believe Toy Story is the best Disney movie of all time. I don't think you can beat it. I think you set Toy Story, especially Toy Story 2, up against any other Disney movie. I think Toy Story 2 is knocking it out of the park. I'm sorry if you're a Finding Nemo fan, Incredibles fan, I'm sorry. Toy Story is winning that match. But what's the big song everybody knows from Toy Story? I appreciate that. That's some commitment. That's some commitment. You've got a friend in me. And if you think about it, in that movie, Woody and Buzz, they start off with this hard relationship, and then you watch it kind of unfold. It's hilarious. Buzz, he, I, I think it's so funny. He has this identity crisis. 
right? He thinks he's an astronaut. He's not. He's a toy. And he gets to the point where you remember that scene where he steps on the stairwell and he jumps over the edge and he's trying to fly and he can't fly. He's a toy. And he falls, boom, and that's where his arm comes off and the sad song is playing. And it's that scene where it's the famous line from all the movie that all of us know where Woody, right? You remember when he yells at Buzz and he goes, you are a toy. And Buzz doesn't want to hear it, but ultimately Woody's telling him the truth. It's a hilarious example, but man, I'll tell you, it's a great reminder that your friends in your life are put there to remind you who you really are. And even more important, your godly friends are put there to remind you whose you truly are. Just like in that movie, we often don't want to hear the truth from our friends. We don't want to hear the truth from our loved ones, especially when we're going through something. But our friends are put there to remind us who we belong to. And that ultimately being, if you're a Christian, Jesus, that you belong to the Lord. So all over our culture, friendship is very popular. But a lot of times we don't have deep friendships in our lives and we crave more. Well, tonight, here's what I want to tell you. From Romans, we're going to see Paul's exhortation to the church in Rome on how they should live with one another, how they should interact and what their love should truly look like. That there is a visual for Christ-like friendship, that there's a visual for Christ-like emotions that you can share how you feel in an amazing, positive way. And we're also gonna look at Ecclesiastes chapter three, a passage that's very popular about how there's a time for everything under the sun. So what I wanna do is I wanna begin to unpack Romans chapter 12. I wanna read these verses. I wanna begin to unpack a few things and I wanna give you some things to take home tonight that's gonna encourage you in your relationship with God, and in your relationships with other people. So look with me, if you will, at Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 9. And you're going to find an incredible exhortation and encouragement here from Paul on what our relationships should really look like when they're done godly. It says this in chapter, in chapter 12, this is verse 9. Paul says, let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil. Cling to what is good. A lot of translations say, let love be genuine. Let love be sincere. Let love be, gen let love be pure. Verse 10 says, love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lack diligence and zeal. Be fervent in the spirit and serve the Lord. Here's a key verse for us tonight. Verse 12, rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs and pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Here's a key word, key verse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. We're going to come back to that verse. Verse 16 says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. And if possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Everybody say everyone. Here we go. Everyone. Live at peace with everyone. That's Paul's exhortation. And then he says, friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath because it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in so doing, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Verse 21, do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. And then I want to read just a verse from Ecclesiastes chapter 3. This will be on the screen. You don't have to turn there. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, when it's talking about there's a time for everything, there's a key verse in there as well I want to share with you that we'll come back to. Verse 4 says, there is a time to weep, there is a time to laugh, 
There's a time to mourn and a time to dance. Let me pray a prayer of blessing over tonight, and then I'm going to give you a few things to take home with you. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Lord, we thank you that your word does not return void. Lord, we thank you that your word speaks to us every day. Lord, we thank you that we have the chance to have hope. We thank you that we have the chance to know Jesus in a real and personal way, our Savior, our Messiah, who died for our sins and rose from the grave. And Lord, I pray for anybody in here who is wrestling with whether they know you, whether they know Jesus or not, that tonight would be the night they would nail that down. And Lord, I pray for each one of us as we have relationships, as we are in our 20s, going into our 20s, developing relationships we're going to have for the rest of our lives. Lord, I pray we would do it in a godly way. Lord, I pray we wouldn't get to the end of college. I pray we wouldn't get to the end of our master's and look back and, and say, man, I, I did not pour into, a, into friendships in a godly way. I pray that would not be anyone's testimony. But I pray each of us would get to the end of college and the end of our master's and would go into the workforce looking back, saying that we invested in the people around us in a biblical way, and we shared our emotions, and we didn't let them rule us, but we let Christ rule us. So, Lord, would you move tonight? We pray tonight would be special. Lord, we pray that you would set tonight apart. A February night and Monday with a room this big, Lord, I pray that you would just anoint it and make this a special night where each of us would walk away just in awe of Jesus. Lord, I pray that we would walk away saying tonight was different because we met with you and your presence was just even more evident to us. Lord, would you speak tonight? Would you move? Would you soften hearts? And would you do things in this room that only you can do? No speaker, pastor, no college student can do, only that you can do. And Lord, we love you. If that's your prayer tonight, would you say amen? Amen. amen. Hey, let me give you a few things that I want you to write down. Let's unpack this. Number one, created to connect. I want to give you one thing here. The first thing that I see in these verses is that you and I were created to connect. We have began to lay this groundwork the last two weeks, that there's a purpose to our emotions. Let's expand on that tonight. You and I were created not just to feel, but to share feelings. You and I were created to connect. We were created to be vulnerable. We were created to be real and raw. In fact, Scripture says that we are fragile jars of clay, that we are fragile in how we are, and yet God has chosen to put his surpassing power and glory inside of us as his vessel. It's an amazing thing. You and I are fragile. We have a lot of feelings, but we were created to connect on those. And it's sad that if, for I don't know what your, what your home life is like, but a lot of the generations older than us don't always have a lot of friends. A lot of the generations older in America don't always have a lot of connections. It hasn't always been talked about as much throughout the years. Well, for us, for your generation, for mine, we've asked a lot of questions about friendship. And one of the big things is that you find statistically from studies on your generation is, and this is very fascinating coming out of COVID, is that your generation craves deep, authentic friendships, but you often don't know how to find or cultivate them, right? Oftentimes, what you want the most is to be deeply connected with the people in your life, but you don't know how to find it, and you don't feel like you have it. As we've said in this series, we must address that we have gone through a pandemic in our nation. We have to address this from the stage that the COVID pandemic years ago, four, three, four years ago, has also affected you and me socially. It's affected us vulnerably. It's affected us spiritually. And we are still recovering from all the trials and hardships that came from that time period. This series is a great reflection of that, that we have gone through a pandemic and many of us are still learning how to truly build relationships in a deep and godly way. And so, man, 
Layer it as an encouragement tonight that you were created to connect in a real and a raw way, that it is not God's will or plan for you to be isolated. I was telling Hannah this as I was talking about this sermon because I'm very passionate about this and I promise I'm going to try to not keep you all the way to midnight tonight. But I'll tell you, you were not created to just be in isolation. In fact, some of the worst things ever happen when you are isolated. Scripture defines the enemy as a prowling lion looking for someone to devour. Well, when he can get you isolated and away from people, he can devour you. He can cause havoc in your life. Now, hear me. This is one thing that I was talking about with Hannah that I think is a great distinction to make. When you are alone in God's presence, you are not in isolation. There is a time, just as Jesus did, to retreat and be only with the Lord. But understand... When you are spending time with the Lord and focused on his presence, that is even, that is the best place you can be, period. Period is to be with the Lord, to be sitting at his feet, to be talking to him, to be thinking about reading his word. That's a great place. It's also a great place to be connected to community, to be with godly people, to be surrounded by people who love you and who love God. That's great. The gray area in between is when you're with neither of those. Don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You can be completely alone, not with godly people, and also not be focused on God's presence, not really pursuing him, not really praying. And when you're doing that, you are isolating yourself, making yourself completely alone. I shared this example many years ago. I got saved at a public park the day after Christmas in 2015. I go to that park often to pray. But there are times where I have gone out to that park to pray and be with God where I have gone out there and my mind was not truly focused on the Lord. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You try to retreat, you try to get away, you try to spend time with God. But the worries and the fears and the anxieties, and, and you end up only spending time with you. Well, I want to tell you, <laughs> Hannah may love me, but I'm not that great at all. In fact, really, I'm broken and you're broken. I don't need more just alone time with myself. I need more time with God, because the more time I spend with God, he begins to shape and sanctify who I am. When I'm just alone and I'm not focused on God's presence and I'm allowing myself to be isolated, I don't know about you, but I start to snowball fears, right? Because when you're alone and you're not focused on God's presence, you're focused on those fears, those worries, and they're snowballing. They're getting bigger. They're growing. And that, that has happened in my life many times. When you retreat and go be alone, Focus on God's presence, that he is with you. In fact, Paul says that we should always be making mention of people in, in prayer, that we should always be in prayer, that we should never leave a posture of prayer. And if that's true, it means you and I should truly never not be focused on God's presence. But isn't that a radical concept in 2024 in America for the church? Isn't it kind of radical for me to tell you, hey, you should have this mindset that you're never out of God's presence. That's kind of radical. And it's a shame that's where our culture is, but truly, most of us don't think about our lives as being in God's presence 24-7. We think about it as a quiet time with God in the morning, then I leave God and go do my own thing the rest of the day. And man, that is not how the, how the Lord wants us to be. That's exactly how the enemy wants us to be. Hear me, that you were made to connect and first off to connect with the Lord, and his presence is offered to you all throughout the day. Quit putting God in a box like I do. Quit putting God's presence in a box and saying he is only with you at certain parts of the day. No, 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 no. He is walking alongside you. His spirit, if you're a believer, is dwelling in you. You have access to fellowship with God all day long. So hear me. We're expanding on this. When you start focusing on the flesh and you start focusing on yourself, you're choosing to take yourself away from focusing on the goodness 
and the greatness of the Lord. And when you do that, you will always find yourself starting to wander to sin. Always. And that's where you end up going and trying to be alone with God, and you end up just being alone with yourself, and things snowball in your mind and heart. And that's why a lot of us feel like we're emotional wrecks, or we have chaos in our mind. It's because we're not truly focused on God when we're going to be with God. No, he is with you all day long, walking alongside you. What would happen in your life if you adopted that mindset? What would happen if you prayed all throughout the day that God is with you in everything you do? I'll tell you what it'll do. It'll make you choose sin a lot less. Right? Nobody, sin, nobody wants to sin in their quiet time. It's, it's hours later when we've been thinking about ourselves for a few hours that we fall into sin. Nobody wants to sin right after their quiet time. When you get done reading the Bible, you are ready to go lead the whole world to Jesus. You feel great. You're ready to go be an evangelist and go out there and tackle the world. What happens? A couple hours go by. You get scared about something. You don't talk about it with the Lord. You get anxious about something. You don't talk about it with somebody in your life. It starts to snowball, and then halfway through the day, you start thinking worldly thoughts. And boom, you find yourself isolated. Some of you are losing a lot of battles in your life because of what I just broke down for you. A lot of you have a lot of losing battles in your life right now because that's what's happening to you. You've put God in a box, and you are not connecting with him throughout the day. Man, he has so much more to offer you than that. So first off, hear me say that. You were made to connect, made to connect with God all throughout the day. He has far more for you than just one quick word in the morning. He has words for you all day long. He has encouragement for you all day long. He has a reminder of his presence with you all day long. And when you get that down, man, you can do anything for the Lord. When you realize that he is with you all day long, if you don't know anybody else, you can do an amazing thing for the Lord if you realize he is with you. Not that you have all the skills and gifts and abilities in the world, but that he is with you. You realize you can conquer any Goliath you face if you have God's presence with you. But not just that, you are made to connect with others. I want you to ponder and I want you to meditate on these scriptures for just a moment as I read them. Let me show you the importance of scripture, the importance of community in scripture. Here's a big one. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 to 25 says this, and let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. How do we provoke love and good works in the lives of people around us? Here's another one, Matthew 18, verse 20. You know, this text is often talked about, but not always lived out. It says this, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, everybody say, in my name, in my name, I am there among them. Man, Jesus affirmed the great power of being gathered together with two or three in his name. There's Old Testament values for community. There's New Testament values for community. Right here you see it. He says, where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. Great things can happen. I'll tell you this, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 14. Paul gives another exhortation. He says, we exhort you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle, comfort the discouraged, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Now, as you think about this, who are idle, King David, when he led, when he found himself in sin in the Old Testament, what led him there was being idle, not being at war, not being where he was supposed to be. He was idle. For a lot of us, there's a lot of sin happening in some of our lives, and it's because we're idle, we're not doing what God has called us to do. When you get idle, the first step to isolation is being idle, is not being active for God, is not living for God, it's becoming idle. And he says, warn those who are idle, tell them to stop. 
Paul says, hey, go to the people who you know that are struggling with being idle and invite them to do the ministry that you're doing with them. Isn't that an amazing thing? And then he says this. He says, comfort, comfort the discouraged, help the weak, be patient with everyone. And then I'll give you another one, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 25 to 27. We've seen Jesus' words. I'll show you Paul's words again. He says that there would be no divisions in the body, but that the members would have the same concern for each other. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. That each of us, when you are a Christian, you make up the family and the church and the kingdom of God. Man, when you and I know Jesus, there are great perks to it. We know that we are saved. We have a relationship with our Father in heaven. We know where we are spending eternity. But I'll tell you this, we are called to live in community. All through scripture, you see the value of living in community. But see, some of you don't understand that quite yet. Some of you still find yourselves being idle. You still find yourselves in isolation. And you're wondering why you're so discouraged and confused all the time. It's because the devil is doing his best work in isolation. God did not design you to do the Christian life alone. You can't do it. It is unbearably hard. When I first got saved in 2015 and went back to the coaching world, I was constantly around people who were not believers. And one of the hardest things for me was trying to live as a Christian amongst worldly people when I didn't have any other Christians having my back. You know what happens then? When you don't have godly people in your corner helping you, when you're with worldly people, you'll start to cut corners. You know exactly what I'm talking about. I've been there. Every single one of us has been in there. Why? Because you're searching deep down to connect. And when you don't have godly people to do it with, sometimes you'll do anything to connect with the world, even if it means compromising some of those convictions you really don't want to compromise. And that's just real and that's just raw. Welcome to church. God bless you. You'll start to cut corners in your convictions just to connect with worldly people if you don't have godly people in your life. Man, you were made to connect. You have a part in the church. You have a part in the local church. Colossians, you have a part in the entire church. The entire church, you have a role. Don't waste it. Because I'll tell you something. Whether you're a member at Bellevue, member of another church, not a member, wherever you are, I want to tell you, the church needs you. The church needs your voice. The church needs your energy. God doesn't need any of us, but I'll tell you, we need you. Millennials need Gen Z because you are even more innovative than our generation, by far in a lot of ways. We need you. The local church needs you. If you're a member of Bellevue Baptist Church, I want to tell you, Bellevue Baptist Church needs to hear the voice of godly college students speaking into its direction and vision. The church needs you. Your home church needs you. But if you and I aren't a part, what Paul says is that we're hurting the whole body because a certain member isn't doing its role. Man, you have a role. Don't isolate yourself because you're going to find yourself in a lot of sin and a lot of temptation. And even more than that, you're going to find yourself lonely and craving connection. No, you were made to connect. You were made to have godly people who love you. You were made to have godly people who support you. You were made to be encouraged. It is not a bad thing to need encouragement. If it is, we're all in trouble, especially me, because sometimes with Hannah, sometimes I'd be fishing for a little encouragement. I'd be like, what do you think about my vest? You like it, baby? Sometimes we need encouragement. Right? It ain't bad to need encouragement. And when you don't have that, then you'll feel hurt, lonely, and isolated. So you were made to connect. 
So let me give you a reflection question. Based on all these scriptures about two or three in Jesus' name, based on the power of being around godly people, who do you have in your life right now? If it's non-believers, praise God. Guess what your role is in their life? To love them like Jesus and tell them about Jesus. Don't go cutting out, don't go cutting out the world because God placed you in the world to share Jesus with them. I love what Tony Evans said. I may mess it up. It's not in my notes. He said, uh, ships belong in the water. It's that water doesn't belong in the ship. See, you belong in the world as a believer, as a light, but the world doesn't belong in you. You start to sink. Don't cut those people out. Share Jesus with them. But when you get tired of living as a Christian, when you get tired of living for Jesus and speaking about Jesus, who do you go back to for encouragement, for support, and for love? Do you have those people? If you don't, are you going to do something this year to pray and to find them? Now, let me turn that on its head. Here's another application. We're going to flip this coin and spin it all the way around. Are you that person for anybody else? Uh-oh. This is where messages don't get liked as much, right? Because we all want to hear, man, I need godly people. Who's going to encourage me? Who's going to have my back? Who's going to support me? Pastor, you're right. Pray for me. I want people in my life who's going to champion me. Well, listen, here's the other side of the coin. Do you do that for anybody in your life? I'm serious. I'm not trying to convict you. I can't. If it's the Holy Spirit, praise the Lord, I can't. But I'm just telling you, I have to reflect and say, am I somebody that godly people come to to be encouraged after they do ministry? Like, am I a breath of fresh air in a godly way? Am I an encouragement? Am I somebody that people can come to and walk away feeling like, man, I can go share Jesus some more? Or am I somebody when they come to, they're like, man, I don't really want to share Jesus anymore after talking to him. So not only what are we getting from our godly community, but who are we to that godly community? Now, Paul, I read it. He gave a long exhortation in this. And I want to sum two action steps up from all the things that he said here. First one I want you to write down is this. A, you have to be fully present wherever you are. Man, I hope that you hear this. You have to be fully present wherever you are. This is a big struggle for your generation and for mine because our minds are often not here. Since I have started this message, your mind has probably thought about dinner and what you're going to eat tonight and may have thought about your class tomorrow, may have thought about work tomorrow. You may have thought about the person sitting next to you. You may have thought about the person sitting in front of you or behind you. You may have thought about what you have tomorrow morning when you're going to the gym, when you're going to meet up with these godly people. Your mind has probably thought about a thousand different things. We struggle to be present right where we are. Well, Paul says, let love be genuine. Let it be without hypocrisy. Hear me. You can't love anybody that you're not fully present with. You can't. That's step number one. You say, Daniel, that's a bold statement. How can you make that biblically? <laughs> Let's look at the best communicator and the best encourager we know. It's not me. It's not you. It's the Lord. The Lord is a perfect communicator, holy in every way. And guess what? The number one thing you don't have to worry about with God is that his presence is available to you. Never does it, do you walk away from a quiet time and say, man, God was distracted. God, God wasn't really with me today. God didn't really hear me today. No. 
Sometimes it's our fault, but God has made himself fully present and available to his believers that we can know God. So hear me. You cannot be Christ-like if you're not present where you are. There is no Jesus sharing that love with the well at the woman if he's there not focused on the woman who was at the well. It's because he was fully present right there in the heat of the day, knowing the cross was coming, his mission on earth. He knew it all along. He had a lot more on his plate than you and me did, a lot more to do in this world than you and me do, and still, for the woman at the well, he chose to stop and be fully present. The reason why some of you do not feel like you have deep relationships in your life is because you're never fully present where you are. It's because your mind is always somewhere else, it's always on something else, or you're thinking about what you can get from that person you're talking to, not how you can connect and bless. That's the reason why a lot of us are walking around feeling like we are not connected to people. It's because we're not really present. Matthew chapter 6, verse 34, a powerful verse, says this. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. That's Matthew 6, verse 34. If you want to have deep connections, you've got to be fully present right where you are. Which means you've got to set aside some of those worries, give them to God, set aside some of those fears. And even as hard as it is, to a degree you have got to stop thinking about tomorrow. I know in college you got to plan, you got to find jobs, you got to figure out where you're going to live, you got to figure out a spouse, you got to figure out all these decisions, but ultimately you have got to come to a place spiritually where you are willing to trust God. Doesn't mean you don't ever plan, but man, it does mean that you are able to rest when you don't know the plan. If you cannot rest when you don't know the plan, there's probably a lack of trust for God that he's in control. Can you let go of tomorrow to be fully in today? Here's the amazing part, and then i got to move on. When you let go of tomorrow to fully give God what you have today, God will give you a whole lot more clarity on tomorrow. That doesn't mean he gives you the whole game plan for five years, but I'll tell you, if you will walk with God today, you will have clarity more for tomorrow than if you don't. If you don't live for God today, there is no getting clarity for tomorrow because you'll be just as confused and in chaos as you feel without the Lord. Rest in him today, see what he gives you tomorrow. If you rest in him today, whatever he does give you for tomorrow will be enough because you'll be resting in him. It's an amazing thing. But not only that, from Paul's exhortation, we can safely say this. Be, be aware of who is influencing you. Be aware of who is influencing you. It's an amazing thing that we have Instagram reels and we have TikTok where and there are so many voices available to you. I get it. Bellevue posts me. I understand. There are so many voices that are available to you. There are so many voices who are telling you what the Bible says, what you're supposed to do with your life, what is right and wrong, what you should stand for, who you should vote for, what you should vote for. There are so many voices. And hear me, if you are not filtering those voices through the word of God, you're going to find yourself influenced by way too many things that aren't godly. Just because it sounds good doesn't mean it is good. And just because it sounds good doesn't mean it's godly. What you and I have to do is we have to guard our connection. And Proverbs 4, verse 23, we said this the last two weeks. It's a great verse. It says, guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. Man, you are made to connect. And you are made to connect with other people. But you have to understand, be careful who you allow to influence your heart. I've said this over the years. I think this is a great way to explain it to people who are in your season of life. We're called to be missionaries. 
We're called to have relationships with people that don't know Jesus. But understand, this, this is a key difference. This is how you guard your heart. You are supposed to be a missionary to people who don't know Jesus, but you will never be able to rest your soul with people who don't know Jesus. Who I'm on mission for and who I rest my soul with are two completely different things. When you let the guard down, when you're vulnerable, and when you do share your emotions and you share your heart, when you do that with somebody who is ungodly, you can find yourself getting really hurt really quickly. When you have guardrails up, when you rest your soul with godly people, you receive godly counsel. Not always perfect, but you receive godly counsel. And you need to be aware as you connect with people in your life, you need to guard your heart because not everybody in this world gets access to influence your heart. You need to give that to the Lord. Paul says, detest what is evil, cling to what is good. In order to do that, you need to look at your community. First off, hold up, you need to look at yourself and say, hey, again, am I somebody who's bringing godliness to this friendship or this friend group? You need to get the log out first. You need to say, hey, am I, am I bringing worldliness or am I bringing godliness to this friendship and this friend group? And then when you do build friendships for the rest of your life, for the rest of your 20s, you need to be careful who you allow to have that place in your heart because godliness is the ultimate goal. I want to share this illustration. I'll read it for you very briefly, and then I will move on. I love this illustration. It's very powerful, and I'll just read it straight because I don't want to mess it up. You think about this. It's about a married couple that was on the verge of divorce. Listen to this. A newspaper columnist and minister tells of a wife who came into his office full of hatred toward her husband. She said, I don't want to only get rid of him. I want to get even. Before I divorce him, I want to hurt him as much as he has hurt me. Now the minister, he said to her a plan. He said, let me give you a plan. He said, go home and act as if you really love your husband. Tell him how much he means to you. Praise him for every decent trait you find. Go out of your way to be as kind, considerate, and generous as possible. Don't spare any efforts to encourage him and enjoy his presence. Make him believe that you love him. After you've convinced him of your undying love and that you cannot live without him, then you drop the bomb. Tell him you're getting a divorce and that will hurt him the most. Sounds barbaric, doesn't it? It's crazy. It's what he, he told her to do. He said, go do this. And she responds, she says, with revenge in her eyes, beautiful. Beautiful. I love it. She said, uh, he will be so surprised this will hurt. So she did it. She went home with enthusiasm, acting as if she loved him. For two months, she showed love, kindness, listening, giving, reinforcing, and sharing. And then she never ended up returning back to the minister. So the minister calls her, calls her on the phone, says, hey, I haven't heard from you. It's been months. Are you ready to finalize that divorce? She says over the phone, divorce? Never. I have discovered that I actually really do love him. The minister said her actions changed her feelings. Motion resulted in emotion. That's so good. The ability to love is established not so much by a fervent promise as it is by repeated 
deeds. This is what I want to tell you. The great truth you can learn from this is that motion changes emotions. Actions impact affection. I want to tell you, many people wonder why they don't feel loved and why they don't love others deeply. They wonder why they don't feel a deep connection with others, and that's because it starts with actions. Begin showing actions of love to people and watch how deeply you'll begin to love people that you never thought you could love. Watch how you'll begin to forgive people you never thought you could forgive. And I'll tell you, this is not just me giving you this great truth. In Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis wrote this. I don't know if this will be on the screen or not. I got it in last minute on the slide. Here it is, perfect. Yeah, that's fantastic. In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis wrote this. He said, do not waste your time bothering whether you love your neighbor, just act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the greatest secrets of life. When you are behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love him. If you injure someone you dislike, you will find yourself disliking him more. And if you do him a good favor, you will find yourself disliking him less. Man, it's an amazing truth that when you don't feel love for someone, if you will go and start showing the action of love, love will develop. That one of the greatest reasons you feel like you're lacking deep connections with other people is that you don't find yourself initiating those actions with anybody unless they're doing something for you. Love is a lot greater than that, that if you will start loving people who are easy to love and hard to love, you'll find yourself loving them regardless, and that won't be a thought inside your brain anymore. And we have such a great picture because in Romans 5, 8, it says, God demonstrates his love for you and for me And the fact that Christ died for us while we were still sinners. In other words, Christ died for you and me before we knew we needed him to. And couldn't offer anything in return. What happens when you love people with Christ-like love like that? This is what happens. Number two, you will find yourself rejoicing with those who rejoice. When you do this, when you're present right where you are, Your mind isn't on tomorrow. Your mind isn't on yourself. When you've set aside the distractions, you'll find yourself rejoicing with those who rejoice. Those are Paul's words, not mine. You'll find yourself praising with those who praise. When you love people, not for what they can do for you, but because you genuinely want to love them, you want to obey God, you will find yourself reaping benefits you didn't even know were present and available to you. And you will find yourself sharing the highs and the mountaintops with other people in your life. You know what this means to rejoice with those who rejoice? What Paul is saying is he's saying in your relationships, it's not just about you. He's saying, hey, in your relationships, you share your praise with other people. Hear me, there is not a deeper connection you will ever have with another human being besides sharing worship for God with that person. That's why we gather. That's why it's so special when you're in this room and we're worshiping God, because if your mind's not here during worship, you're not a participant. You're not in it. You might as well be on Highland. You might as well be down at University of Memphis campus if you're in here and you're not focused on God in worship. But when you are, When you are side by side with people and your minds are not even on each other, you're just sharing in the rejoicing, you're sharing in the worship, and you're lifting Jesus' name, there is a supernatural element at play. There is a bonding that happens between human beings who worship God together. That's why Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am, and where I am, I am doing something powerful. See, some of you have never thought about worship in that way. 
That it's not just you singing the words of a song off a screen, but it's you making much of God with the other people who are next to you. That's why the church and ministry should be so close because we're worshiping the same God together. How can you and I be in the same room, worship the same God, and be fine with strife and conflict and slander between us? How can we do that? We can't. We have to repent and we have to lay it down. I'll tell you, when you start selling out for Jesus, you'll find yourself rejoicing with those who rejoice. Brother Steve, our pastor who currently is walking through a, a cancer diagnosis, I think the most amazing thing I've witnessed up close about Brother Steve, our pastor here at Bellevue, is that he is a magnet and he is drawn, I mean drawn, like it is deep in his core. He is drawn wherever God is being worshiped. Like, he can't stay away from worship. That's why he loves stopping by on Monday nights, because he, wants, he just wants to see you worship, and he wants to join in with you. He loves being a participant. It's like a magnet. He can't get away from wherever worship is happening. You know what that is? That's a reflection of decades and decades and decades of his prayer life and him realizing the importance and the awe of worshiping with other people. That's how you will be one day. If you keep seeking God, you and I, that's how we can be one day, where we are drawn like a magnet. To worship with other people, not just alone, not just when Spotify is on, not just in our prayer closet, but we'll be drawn to sheer rejoicing and worshiping with other people. If you have not shared truly, deeply, worshiping God with someone else in your life, you have not known the deepest connection you can have yet with another person. You haven't. That's why husbands and wives are called to have their own worship time every week where they worship God together. You know why? Because that's a supernatural bonding to worship a holy God together. And that's what we do in this room. That's why we cheer for God's word. That's why we come in here with a reverence. That's why we worship with a reverence because you and I are not just worshiping God alone. We are worshiping in God in community. But you know what you can't do this with? You can't do this when you have selfish ambitions. You can't do this when you have hidden agendas. You can't truly rejoice with other people when you've got your own game going on in here and in here. See, if it's only about what you can get from somebody or how you can be seen by somebody or what you're gaining from, from the worship experience, you're missing the point. You can't rejoice with those who rejoice because rejoicing with those who rejoice means you celebrate what God is doing in other people's lives, not just your own. That's the amazing thing. It doesn't say be jealous with those who are jealous, be selfish with those who are selfish. It says rejoice with those who rejoice, and that's offered to you. It's one of the deepest connections that you will find is to share in praise. I'll tell you, Philippians 4, verse 4 says this. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. There's Paul again doing what he often does in Scripture, giving us a, a posture that we should never leave. There's a few postures he gives that we should never leave. One is a posture of prayer. The other is a posture of rejoicing, that you should never leave a posture of rejoicing. To praise and to share it and to celebrate others and to support others and to love others and to lift them high. And then Psalm 100, verses 1 and 2, I love these. Say, let the whole earth shout triumphantly to the Lord. The whole earth. And then it says, serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. What does this look like in your life? 
to rejoice with those who rejoice, to lift Jesus' name high with other people, to stop having a selfish ambition or a hidden agenda or your own game at, at, at hand, but to share in worship with other people, to talk about the things of God with people in your life. What does that look like for you? Some of you do, and man, this is not on my notes. I don't know if the Lord is speaking to anybody in the room on this right now, but some of you have relationships in your life where you have never talked about the things of God. Some of you deeply love Jesus, you're in love with Jesus, and right now you could put your finger on what relationship we're talking about. Right now there are people in your life who you know you have never shared a conversation, really, truly, not just men, church was great. I'm talking about a deep conversation about God, what he's teaching you, what he's teaching them, there's somebody in your life you've never had that kind of conversation with, and that's the reason why you're leaving intimacy on the table with that person because you've never engaged them in a godly conversation. It may be scary. It may be family. It may be a coworker. It may be a friend. I don't know who it is for you. You do, but I'll tell you this. Whenever you do have that, whenever you do finally say, okay, with this person in my life who I've never connected with in a vulnerable or godly way, when you tear down that wall, you'll reap benefits you didn't know were there. Your friend group, when your friend group starts talking about God, starts talking about the Bible, start talking about the things of the Lord, you will be amazed at where your friend group can go when you start talking about God. It's amazing. He tells us to rejoice with those who rejoice. But I'll tell you the last thing, a beautiful thing, is he also tells us to weep with those who weep. To weep with those who weep. Let me recap and then we will land this plane. So first off, we were created to connect. One of the biggest ways we're created to connect is by rejoicing with those who rejoice, to share the highs and share the mountaintops. But number three, we are called to weep with those who weep. Galatians 6 verse 2 says this, very straightforward. Paul says, carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. It's Galatians 6.2, that as, we, as believers, we are called to carry one another's burdens, meaning whatever is weighing your loved ones down, you are called to share in that with them so that you can experience God more with that person. Let me remind you, we have a Messiah who was beaten and tortured and crucified because you and I have sin. We have a Messiah and a Savior who was nailed to a tree and then rose from the grave three days later, suffered publicly, suffered humiliation, was beaten and tortured. We have a Messiah who suffered, and Scripture tells us to carry our cross too because when we suffer, we share in what Jesus went through, and that creates intimacy between us and Jesus, that suffering, nobody wants to do it, and it's not easy, but God turns it for good, and he brings a lot of deep connection to him out of it. Well, in the same way, take that and understand that you are called to weep with those who weep. What does that really mean? That means you love people so deeply in your life that when they cry, you want to cry. It means you want to cry. Not just to cry, not just to feel like you had a moment, not to make a moment, not to manufacture someone. I'll put it another way. That when someone else in your life hurts, you love them so much that you want to hurt too. That you want to feel what they are feeling so that you can help them and walk with them. Why? Because it's so much better when you have somebody who's walking through what you're walking through with you. That you see someone in your life and you're willing to care enough about their spiritual journey to feel it. That you don't even have to try. It just happens because you love them so deeply. That's why you see things like moms and dads 
who care so deeply for their kids that when their kid gets bullied in school, it disrupts the whole parent's life. Man, I have kids say stuff to me in school sometimes, man, stuff that back then they could, they could get hit in the jaw for, man. And I was a small kid, so I wasn't just throwing punches like crazy, all right? Sometimes I just had to take it and keep going. And I remember when I'd come home and I'd tell my mom what somebody said to me, and my mom would look at me like, well, let's go find them right now, you know? I'm like, all right, mom, I'm down, let's go. My mom, I remember this story. We were at a garage sale. I was probably eight, nine years old, and there was a T-Rex for sale. It was like this size, and I was a massive dinosaur fan. I wanted to be a paleontologist. I loved Jurassic Park. I wanted to find dinosaur bones, and there was this T-Rex, a little toy, and I wanted it so bad, and there was this other kid who was like fighting for it and fighting for it, but we saw it first. And I remember, my mom doesn't care anything about dinosaurs, but I remember the look on my mom's face when she made the decision that she was going to get me that dinosaur. <laughs> I remember the look on her face when she said, oh, we're, we're going home with that, Daniel. You want it, we're going to get it. This bully, this bigger kid ain't going to win out. And I remember her going after that just because she wanted me to have something that I could enjoy and because she didn't want to see me upset. And that's how parents feel for their kids. They'll do anything for their kids. Well, listen, in the New Testament, you and I are called to share in that with the people in our lives. That you are supposed to care so much about your friend's prayer life that you pray with them and you pray for them. When's the last time you sat down and prayed for somebody else's prayer life? When's the last time your prayers were about anything except you getting something and it was about somebody else's spiritual journey? I get convicted when I think about that. And most of our prayers are about, God, do this for me, make this better. We've never really set aside time to pray for somebody else's spiritual journey. We don't weep with people who weep in our culture today. We fly high when they fly high, and when they're low, we're thinking about us. Christ says that's not how it should be, that you should love the people so much in your life, you care enough to pray for them, to walk with them, and to want to see them thrive. That's what we are called to share that there's a life of emotions that are far deeper than just somebody telling you you're cute, telling you you're cool, telling you you're funny. There's a deeper connection that's supposed to be had. And ultimately, it says brothers and sisters in Christ. And in this day and age, a lot of times in the church, we don't know how to operate as brothers and sisters in Christ. So we walk around with superficial relationships. I got to stop or I'm going to be up here all night. But I'm just telling you, there is more on the plate for you tonight with the people in your life. But you will never access it if you don't follow Follow and obey what God's word tells you to do. I have one more thing I will give you, and I will be done. It's one more thing I'm going to read you. Very short, very adorable, kind of cheesy, but I read it today. I love it, and I'm not even a dog person. But Dakota teared up at this. He hasn't actually heard it. I need to clarify that. I don't want to lie from stage. He hasn't actually heard it. He'll cry right now. Well, okay, weep with me, brother. Okay. I love this. It's adorable. Bear with me. It's a great way to end tonight. It's a story. It says this. A man put up a sign in his yard that read, puppies for sale. Skylar, this is for you too, dog people. Among those who came to inquire about the puppies was a small boy, real small, little kid. And he comes to the gentleman who's doing the sale, and he says, please, sir, I'd like to buy one of your puppies if they don't cost too much. And the adult replies, well, son, they're $25. The boy looked crushed, and he said, I've only got $2.05. 
Some of us as college students know what that struggle's like. That's what we walked in with tonight, trying to go to cookout with that. And it'll get you something. That's the shameful part. You'll go home with a tray. Not a McDonald's, though. Pay for what you get. He says, I've only got, I've only got $2.05. Could I see the puppies anyway? Of course, the man said. Maybe we can work something out. The boy goes to look at the puppies, and his eyes light up when he sees one of the smallest little puppies. His eye is caught by this more than any others because this puppy has a very small defect. He asked the man, he said, does that puppy have a bad leg? The man answered, yes, I'm afraid she'll be crippled for life due to an accident. The boy responded, well, that's the puppy I want. Could I pay for her a little at a time? The man responded, confused, but she'll always have, she'll always have a limp. This dog will always limp. There are perfectly healthy dogs here you can take home. Why do you want this one with a limp? And smiling bravely, the boy pulled up one of his pants legs to reveal a brace that he had on his leg. He told the adult, I don't walk that good either. Then looking at the puppy sympathetically, he said, she'll need a lot of love and help. I definitely did too. The kid went home with the dog, all God's people said. <laughs> the author of the story said that this is sympathy and it's compassion. What I wrote down in my notes to leave you with is that God has an amazing way of taking our weaknesses that we have, our defects, and using those to connect us with other people. That weaknesses and defects and traumas and things that we've been through in our life, God takes those things that we dread so much, and he uses those to give us sympathy, empathy, and compassion for the people in our life. And then you have stuff in your own story and in your own journey of ways that you have weaknesses, hurt that you have, pain that you've been through, things you wish you had never gone through. And I would never wish you to go through those things. But I'll tell you, God has a plan for those things that you've been through. And it's probably to help somebody else that's going through it too. And it might just be to show love and compassion to somebody. You probably wouldn't if you hadn't been through that too. God has an amazing plan. He wants to use you to connect deeply. He wants to use you to love people deeply. Don't leave godly relationships on the table simply because you won't get out of your own way.